0: Welcome to another episode of Invited In. I'm Christy Graham, and today we have Edward and Bethany Densham in the studio. Edward serves as the International Director of Projects, and his wife, Bethany, is the Cleft and Cataract Surgery Team Project Manager. Both have a history with the organization going back decades, and Bethany was one of the first responders when Samaritan's Purse sent a team to Rwanda in the midst of the horrific genocide in 1994. Before coming to Boone, Edward served with us in Africa in a variety of capacities, and they have seen the organization grow throughout the years. Thank you so much, Edward and Bethany, for joining me today. We just felt that both of your insight was invaluable, so we appreciate you coming. Um, So I'd love to start. Just both of you grew up in Africa, correct? That's right. Um, And so I'd love to hear kind of what your parents did. I'm assuming missionaries, but I'd love to just hear... Um, how you grew up there and how that impacted your future and what you wanted to do for the Lord. All right, I'll start. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, my my parents left the U.S. when I was one. Um, we moved around a fair amount in the first several years, um, but ended up at Kijabi uh, Hospital in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is a general surgeon, and my mom um, was actually a teacher at Rift Valley Academy, which is a school for missionary kids. So we um, pretty much were there my entire childhood, apart from you know, just returning to the U.S. for furloughs. But that uh, was a wonderful experience as a, as a kid growing up. It was a great place to grow up. And we actually knew each other from the time we were quite young, um, which was fun. Um, and my dad, being a general surgeon, um, was very much—how do I say this? He was very much— involved in our childhood and and always inviting us into uh, what he was doing at the hospital. And that's where my love for medicine and and my desire to uh, go into nursing came from.
2: So my uh, great-grandfather worked in Kenya. Uh, He was a bridge builder in Kenya. So my grandfather actually grew up in Kenya, and he had a desire to come back as a doctor. And he uh, came back to Uganda and worked there. He built a hospital in Uganda. So my mother was actually born in DRC at Nyankundi. And she met my father in England, and they wanted to be missionaries, so they were at Kajabi, which is the same place uh, where Bethany was. My mother was, actually an interesting fact, my mother was a midwife, and between Bethany's father and my mother, they delivered most of the babies for the missionary ladies there. So, wow. But I, I with that long heritage in Africa, I very definitely wanted to spend my life in Africa. I wanted to raise my kids in Africa,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so it was a little bit of a shock when God moved us to Boone, and we agreed to come here for five years. And... Uh, We're still here 15 years later, so.
0: (laughs) Um, So, as you said, that kind of shaped and molded what you wanted to do for the Lord. It's exciting to see how you loved and grew grew to love what your parents did. Um, But how did you get involved with Samaritan's Purse specifically? Well,
1: <laughs> my dad um, actually went with Samaritan's Purse to Somalia. Mm-hmm. You know, we we were very much aware of Samaritan's Purse, especially World Medical Mission, um, seeing as my dad was at Kajabi Hospital. So pretty much every furlough, we would come through Boone. Uh, my dad would always raid the World Med warehouse mm-hmm. <laughs> and find some goodies there and So they were, you know, it was always kind of on our radar, and then uh, when they asked him to go to Somalia, that was kind of the first sort of relief-type experience that he got involved in. Uh, A couple years later, he and I both went uh, with Samaritan's Purse to Rwanda, and that was kind of uh, my first exposure. And a couple years later, after we were married, we volunteered for a summer to go in uh, to South Sudan with Samaritan's Purse. And that was kind of what launched our time with Samaritan's Purse.
2: So I had a, a slightly different um, introduction to Samaritan's Purse. My, my grandparents were kicked out of Uganda by Idi Amin towards the end of their career. So they came to work at Kijabi Hospital. And there was a family that moved in next door, a world med family uh, that we got to know really well. And that happened to be Dr. Furman. And we became good friends with Trish uh, when we were still kids. And then mm. so kind of had kept in touch with her and uh, she was teaching at RVA, and we were back in Kenya. So I actually got to know Scott through Trish. Trish was the, the friend that we knew, and she used to come stay with us in Nairobi. And she was always telling us, you guys need to work with Samaritan's Purse. You need to do something with Samaritan's Purse. So we did.
0: So I always love hearing the story, the way the Lord weaves it you know, through yeah. both of you and um, brings you to Samaritan's Purse. So we brought you both. You know, this invited in reaches all the staff and families of Samaritan's Purse, and we found you both just wonderful because you both are involved. And so we'd love to hear, um, you you began your marriage on the mission field, and obviously you both wanted to do that, but I'm sure it still brought challenges with it. And I know we have many people living overseas now, so how can you encourage them and share maybe challenges that were created, um, but also ways that it helped build your faith and start your marriage out well?
2: So probably the hardest thing that is different and I don't know if this was so different for us because we had grown up on the mission field. We had grown up in Africa. So really getting married in Kenya was home to us. It's mm-hmm. what we knew and what we did. But the dynamic with families is always challenging just because your family is so far away. Uh, you have much better contact now with, with electronic things. But uh, back then, just with letters, it, it really was hard, like staying close with your family, your extended family, or uh, your parents or your siblings where they were, and you had yet to be really intentional about that. Mm-hmm. That was hard.
1: And I think the other uh, challenge that a lot of people face is as their kids get older and start looking at school options and whether they send to boarding school or whether they homeschool or whether they do a combination of both. Um, We actually didn't have to go through that discussion only because we ended up here in Boone before our kids started school. Um, But that was always a very real concern in the back of our heads was, you know, at some point, will we need to, to look at the option of boarding school and sending our kids off um, to school?
2: Yeah, and watching Bethany's brother and sister, a uh, brother and wife, sorry, who were missionaries in the Comores, have to make that decision in like second and third grade mm-hmm. to send their four boys away to boarding school. That that would have been that would have been really hard. I always I always had the threat of boarding school over my head because I'm from England mm-hmm. and I was in an American school at R V A, and then I was always told when I turned 12, you're going to have to be shipped off to England. And then some teachers came who could teach the English curriculum, and I was spared that. But we were very worried about boarding school and having to send our kids away.
0: Mm-hmm. And Bethany, you were part of the team that responded to the genocide in Rwanda. How did that come about, and how did God use it? Um, use such a challenging experience to draw you closer to Him.
1: It's a that's a really long story, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll I'll try and really um, condense it. It it was really. Kind of a bizarre, um, but well, definitely God worked in a, in a lot of circumstances to orchestrate that. I was um, between, I, I had started nursing school uh, at Johns Hopkins and was kind of between the two years of nursing school and had intended to visit my family in Kenya for the summer. And shortly before the semester ended was when the chaos kind of broke loose in Rwanda and I just remember God really bringing that to my mind, and, and I kept thinking, I wonder if there's anything I can do. And of course, the only option I could think of was through Samarin's Purse. Um, so I wrote my dad a letter. I said, what do you think about us trying to help in Rwanda? So he spent some time talking to Scott Hewitt, who was current, you know, at the time he was the director there in Kenya. and. And he f- definitely felt there was a place for us. So we initially went in with the intention of only being there about two weeks. And I knew that I was kind of there because my dad had a lot of skills that he could offer. And I was still in nursing school. So I'm, mm-hmm. I was kind of new and, and not really confident of, of my ability. But once we got there, um, the needs were so you know great that even though my dad wasn't able to stay, they felt like, there was enough work to do that that it was okay for me to go ahead and stay through the summer. Mm-hmm. And that was really spiritually for me a a big turning point for me because, you know, I had very much grown up in a missionary family. I had been a, a Christian from the time I was very small. And so I kind of always had this kind of view that I was a good girl. You know, I I had done a lot of the right things, you know, and but Rwanda, for me, was really that realization that, you know, Romans 3.23, that we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And I I spent some time toward the end of my time in Rwanda in the capital city, and we were cleaning up a lot of um, scenes from the massacre. And for me, as a 21-year-old, that was really challenging. Um, And I remember just being really kind of angry and questioning God and, you know, why would this be allowed to happen? And all these people, you know, have lost their lives. And, And one night, God really hit it home to me that when we come to the foot of the cross, we're all on equal ground, whether we've murdered hundreds of people or whether we've you know, lied or cheated or stolen or, you know, anything. We all have sin in our hearts and we have the sin of pride. And I very much had had the sin of pride, you know, and thinking I was such a good person. And so that for me was a huge turning point in my spiritual journey because I finally just came to the realization that we're all on equal ground when we stand at the foot of the cross because we all very much have need of. God's salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was really a good experience for me, and just I guess really God used that experience to really instill in me just a, a desire to uh, go into situations like that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be Rwanda or South Sudan or wherever He took us to uh, minister to the needs of people and be Jesus' hands and feet in
0: those situations. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so it broke you spiritually, but also realized how how strong you were and that you could handle. Sure. because of yes. him, because that's yes. a lot to see and witness. Yes, yeah, it was it was challenging for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, were you guys dating at that time, or
1: no? No, okay. we knew each other, you know, and had stayed in contact with each other, okay. but we yeah we weren't dating at the time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And so, Edward, um, to bounce to you, you know one of the big pivotal roles for you was working at the Louis Hospital. Can you tell us about that and how your experience there helped shape you?
2: So it's really interesting how we we got into Louis. We were uh, both working as teachers at the international School in Kenya, and in an international school, you work for ten months and everyone goes home for twelve months for the last two months and mm. we didn't have anywhere to go home to uh, that we felt, and we really didn't want to do that so. Uh, just in talking with Trish, Trish was the one who said, Trish here, she was like, well, why don't you go to Louis Hospital? They just opened it, and why don't you go there for the summer? So we did. It sounded really exciting um, to go and do it. It sounded like a fun summer. So we volunteered and went there, and after the two months there, we realized this is actually the kind of work we want to be doing with our lives. Um, this is, we could see in our, or well, we thought we could in our background of being in Africa, this would be a good fit. So we actually started applying for jobs while we were at the international school for the next year. And we had written to Ken Isaacs. We had met him that summer and said, hey, would you be a reference for us? We're applying for this job. We'd like you to be a reference. And he just said, no, I'll just hire you. Like, don't do it. So we we agreed that next summer. We went to Louis Hospital, and it, it really was, it was exciting for us. It was um, uh, something new, but being able to do something directly for Christ. We got there and realized that the people there really – the situation was just really hard. I mean, a lot of people suffering the – Children dying in the hospital, the people dying of things that we knew—even as close as Kenya, we could have helped them, we could have saved them. We could have been, but also knowing that just by being there with the hospital, just the impact that it had on that community, I think the biggest, one of the biggest moments that sends out to me was just the. In the January and February, we got bombed a number of times by the government, and a lot of the groups had left. And Franklin had said that we could stay, we could stay at the hospital, and just to see the community and the church, their reaction, because they were sure, like, oh, this hospital's gone, now they're going to run away because they got bombed, and just to see, like, how their gratitude and gratefulness that Samaritan's Purse was willing to stay and continue to help them, because, it, I mean, it was the only hospital for within five counties. Some people walked five days just to get to the hospital, and uh, the surgery and the medicine that we had there wasn't available anywhere else, so we just knew this hospital was so important, and without it, so many people would suffer, so mm. it really was encouraging to see in the community just the impact that you have and the people whose lives were impacted because of it.
0: Mm -hmm. And was that your first time in the South Sudan?
2: Well, we went the year before as volunteers, and then we moved there the next year. And yeah, we lived lived at Louis Hospital. We had a little mud hut that we lived in, and our food got flown in once every two weeks. The food would come in, our mail would come in once every two weeks, and uh, we would talk by radio back to Nairobi and let them know how things were going. In fact, it was funny. The first night that we got bombed, uh, we knew we had a sat phone somewhere. We weren't allowed to have it for because the military didn't like it, but we were trying to call Boone and tell them what had happened, and we couldn't find the sat phone. Then we found it, and the battery was flat, and it was hidden under a bed. So just trying to get back here and call Kenny and say that you know, they would bombed the hospital that day.
0: Hmm. So you mentioned you loved and wanted to live in Africa, you know, your whole life. Um, How did the Lord transition you to Samaritan's Purse, to the headquarters here in Boone?
2: We had left Samaritan's Purse. I had realized that I wanted to do this, and so I was a physical education teacher, so I realized that I really needed some more training, and I had seen the UN workers and the other NGO workers in and around South Sudan and realized, you know, they didn't really have any experience in management leadership either, so... We went to Australia for a year and I did a MBA. Um, And Bethany worked in the children's hospital there. And then I really wanted to uh, work in business just for a little bit. I wanted to see the for-profit side. I wanted to understand that whole business part of it. So we started working for uh, Bethany's uh, cousin's husband. Uh, He had a startup company in Southern California, so we worked for him for a year. And really, it it was fascinating because I, I like the business world and where money really does matter the money you make and what you invest in. And, but we started to realize about three quarters of the way through that first year. And I think the question that, that hounded us was, what, what are we gonna tell children we did for our with our lives? Like, what did we really do? And it was just that, how am I gonna explain this to my son, like, well, Dad, what did you do with your life? Like, well, I made money for the owners and profit for the people. And not that there's anything wrong being in business, but that was just our personal journey was, no, we wanted to do something with our lives that made a difference that mattered. I think we had both seen our parents and our grandparents and realized that like, we, we have a lot to offer and we need to be willing to do it instead of just to make money or make money for the owner. So, uh, initially Smarts Purse had called up and they were interested in us coming back. Uh, they moved us back here to Boone and we were here for a year. And then, funnily enough, Scott Hewitt's job came up in Africa. and so. We jumped on it very quickly, knowing that that was our ticket back to Africa, and with Samaritan's person it was perfect. And then uh, after we had accepted the job, they informed us that it was actually going to be based here at headquarters and we wouldn't be going back to Africa. So we, we did try a couple times. Um, we had positions that we were going to go for and going to move for, and God just very clearly, sometimes in Bethany's life, sometimes in my life, uh, put things in the way that we had been praying for and realized, oh, no, we're still supposed to be here for a while. So it probably wasn't until about four or five years ago that we realized our kids had grown up here and we probably should just be content here for the time being and that our kids finish school. Obviously, if God had something he wanted us to do, we'd move in a heartbeat, but we kind of stopped looking like, okay, we're, we're, we'll move if you tell us to, but mm-hmm. if you don't, then this must be where you want us and we'll stay here and uh, finish our kids' time. And I, and I must say, I very much when we we're in the field, we were adamant we weren't going to live in Boone, we weren't going to work behind a desk, but I have to say that the high country really is a good place to raise family. It, you know, moving here from wherever you are in the U.S. or when you come, this is a good place for kids. Our kids have been uh, done very well. The schools are really good. The activities are really good. The churches are really good. There's a good Christian community. And despite us wanting to raise our kids in Africa, Boone has been a, a very good place to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that because I know sometimes, you know, we want what we want, you That's know, right. and we say, God, don't call me to that, you know, but mm-hmm. the Lord, we love the way that you just surrendered and you were. You've been all over. You've done so many things, and sometimes God does call us somewhere we we wouldn't choose, but He shows us why He brought us. And you know, He always He gives us what we need and not necessarily what we want. And so, just wanted to share that because I know there are people that move throughout the ministry, and Mm -hmm. sometimes are sent places they don't necessarily want to go. So it's just been exciting to see the way the Lord's led you, and then revealed to you later why you came. Right. (laughs) Um, So can you can you both explain what you do currently? within the ministry and maybe a little bit about your department and what you're involved with.
2: So we both work in projects I'm the uh, international director for projects so it means that I try and uh, support and help whatever we do around the world not in the US but outside in the world. Uh, we have 17 field offices, we have disasters where we respond to, we have uh, partner churches and partner organizations that we fund and support and help them in the work that they're doing. When I can, I do like to travel and get out and see our field offices and visit some of the sites. Um, But pretty much work in the projects department, doing what I'm told by Kenny.
0: (laughs) Which I'm sure is very exciting. (laughs) Always
1: something to do. (laughs) Um, Mine was kind of a roundabout journey because I had been with Samaritan's Purse. And then when we moved here to Boone, our kids were quite young at the time. And so I just took some part-time jobs. I worked at the hospital bid, bit. And then I worked at the Hope Pregnancy Resource Center for a while. um, And then at Blue Ridge Pediatrics. Uh, And while I was working there was um, sort of when I I found out a little bit about the Clef Flip program that was was starting up. And Edward mentioned to me several times, you know, you really should go on one of those trips with them. And uh, that was the challenge for us just with having kids, you know, and and both of us traveling some. You know, I had been very intentional about staying home with our kids because Edward was gone quite a lot. But they had kind of gotten to the age where it was okay for me to go away for 10 days. And so I went on my first trip um, with the Cleflip team to Elwa Hospital in Liberia, and it was just a fantastic experience. And so I also joined them on a trip to South Sudan and really enjoyed the work. And so when they uh, looked at expanding the program and were looking for another nurse to come alongside uh, Beth Thompson and, and Karen Daniels, uh, it, it just seemed a perfect fit because it was now my opportunity to maybe get back into some overseas work again, but also to use the skills that, that I felt like God had gifted me with. And so I um, help coordinate teams that go to multiple countries to do cleft flip, and we also have a cataract program, so we do cataract surgeries as well. So our cleft flipping and pallet program goes to Myanmar, Liberia, South Sudan. Um, We have been in Bolivia before, and then this year we're starting a new site in Guatemala. And our cataract program uh, goes again to South Sudan, Liberia. Uh, We have a new site. uh, We will leave for Mexico in two weeks and do a cataract uh, mission there. And then All of those programs are very, uh, we're constantly looking at new sites and new locations and very much needed around the world. So uh, we're just expanding as we have the time and the resources and and the personnel to to move forward with those. So we're hopefully going to move to new sites
0: in the next year as well. So Dr. Plyler had been on the show quite a while ago and talking about the specialty teams. He was recently on an orthopedic trip. Is that the same or is this a separate this is separate. Okay, so they're yeah, so. pretty you go back to the same
1: places. Right. We so our program is based under the projects department. Mm-hmm. Um and and we pretty much go to locations where those services are not provided and so we take all of our equipment, we take all of our team from, you know, the surgeons to the scrub techs to the nurses. Uh, speech therapy for our cleft lip program so we basically are covering every aspect of the program and we do incorporate local uh, nurses or staff into the program if we can but a lot of times we're um, going in partnership with our Samaritan's Purse offices that are okay. in country okay. uh, so the the program that Dr. Plyler was involved in is through World Med and World Med Hospitals okay. so. It's different because we actually operate under
0: uh, completely under the projects department. Okay, so you're not with the mission hospitals; you're a separate right. entity.
1: We looked at a few World Med hospitals. So our two new sites this year for cataract and, and cleft lip are both World Med hospitals that have invited us to come. But uh, we we're still doing it very similar to what we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So
0: yes, thank you for explaining. Sure. There's so many partners, and so I just wanted to clarify. I'm sure God has taught you a lot during your time in the ministry. Can you think of one lesson that was especially precious to you? And I'd love to hear from both of you, Um, and I know it's probably hard to pick out one.
2: So I would say probably the, the lesson, and this comes in everything, comes with family, with everything. The lesson I've learned is God really is in control of everything. We just had devotions this morning, and Dave Phillips was doing it. He was talking about, you know, there isn't coincidences with God, like it's nothing is a coincidence. And I think I've really learned that both with the ministry and looking at decisions or things that have happened, but even in our personal lives that God really is in full control and things that happen to you, he knew they were going to happen. He knows it's going to happen. He planned for it to happen. He knows why it's happening, the reason behind it. And sometimes you just have to trust. We've had some things recently where it didn't seem to make any sense. We didn't know what was happening or why, but just to be able to go back and say, I, I don't understand. This is really confusing. It doesn't make sense, but I, I trust. I trust God. I know that he's in control. Nothing is a coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, he knows what he's doing, and I might not see the reason for this for another 10 or 15 years, but when I see it, I'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, that that that, that was right. That mm-hmm. I understand why he did that now. We've definitely had some situations in our life that didn't make sense. We would have rather avoided them when they happened, but to be able to look back and say, God really was in control, and if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't be what we are today. And so we can thank him for what he's done and how he guides us. And we've just sent our son off to college, and there's a lot of, for those of you who have done there's a whole bunch of stuff there that you just have to trust. And so to be able to say, okay, God, we 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 do trust. We know that you're in control, and your love is greater than ours, and we choose to trust. We're going to trust.
0: Mm-hmm. And you sent him to a service academy nonetheless, so it's yes. not a typical, you know, you it's... That's a big send-off.
2: Yep, haven't heard from him in six weeks, but it's about to start. (laughs)
1: Um, I think mine, a lot of times, uh, what takes me back is actually all the way back to my time in Rwanda. And I think in this ministry, it's easy sort of to get lost in the numbers and the masses. And God really showed me in Rwanda that it's about the individual. And even though I might not be able to to reach hundreds or thousands of people, the individual is is important to him. And uh, especially we were working in an unaccompanied minors uh, orphanage-type setting uh, when we first got there, and there were so many kids, and and you wanted to hold them all, but you couldn't hold them all. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to hold that one, God just reminded me that it's important to that one, that one Mm -hmm. child or that one person that you feed or that... That one person that you provide medical care to, or that one child that you fix that cleft lip for, will change the rest of their life. And so, it's not about the numbers, but it's it's about you know his being his hands and feet to that individual person. Mm-hmm. So I think
0: that's probably a big thing that's impacted me. That's good. I think that quote: "You can't change the whole world, but you can change the world for one child." Right. You know, and I it's good to remember. Yeah. So in closing, um, I'd love to hear, you know, you're a strong family of faith and you've clung to the word through really hard times. But is there a particular scripture that you cling to as a couple or as a family that has walked you through tough times?
2: There's this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, that has always spoken to us, I think, because it reminds us of God's calling on his life and the promises he gives with that and what he's asked of us. So this has always been like a special passage Do you want me to read it?
0: Yeah, I'd love that.
2: So Isaiah 61 says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, and to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes— the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So that passage has always meant a lot to us because it's it's challenged us in the things that God has called you to do. And yet it's also reassuring and encouraging because it's very clear in there that he is going to walk with you. He's going to help you. He's anointed you to do this. That's his power and his spirit upon you to help you to do it. So it kind of sums up what we feel God's called our lives to be. And yet the very fact that we can't do this, it's, mm-hmm. it's him that does it through us. And we're grateful that he's asked us to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so yes. much. And thank you for sharing your hearts and your testimony. I know we had to twist your arm a little bit. You didn't mm-hmm. want to come, but I think you both have so much to offer um, our audience and just to encourage. Mm-hmm the staff and the family. So thank you so much. Um, And as we close, we'd love to have a specific prayer. Um, Do you have a prayer request for the projects that you work with? Anything in particular that the audience can partner with?
2: So for me right now, it definitely would be down on the border, just the hearing from our staff, the stories and uh, being able to go a little bit deeper and realize that those aren't just numbers, those are actual people. And when you hear the staff tell you the story of that one individual and, and what they're coming from. It's not just a, a migrant. It's not just a number, but it's it's a mother, it's a child, it's a father, and they have a very real story. And just just praying for them as they're in a very, very difficult situation, and I definitely don't know the political answers that need to happen, but I know that those individuals, uh, they just need God's love and Christ's love and care in their, that terrible situation that they find themselves in. Mm.
0: And real quick, could you give us an update or tell us what Samaritan's Purse is doing on the border?
2: So what we've done on the border, we've gone to um, the cities all along uh, the Texas border and finding places where Christians are trying to help whatever they can, not helping with people crossing the border, mm-hmm. not helping with immigration, but just trying to give cups of water and bread and blankets and uh, beds, whatever they need just for those people in the situation where they are. We've helped a lot in Mexico as well. Uh, Mexico is a little bit more difficult because the cartels control Mm -hmm. the border towns and even some of the Christians that were helping in Mexico have to be really careful because the cartels are watching them and seeing what's happening. But just trying to find wherever there is Christians trying to reach out in the name of Jesus to help people. How can we come alongside them and how can we give them something that they can use to have an impact for Christ as they share God's love? Obviously, they have a a fleeting touch point in the migration centers uh, to share Christ. So how do we make the most of that? 24 or 72 hours that they're. How can we make sure they hear the gospel of Christ and they they leave knowing that there's a hope in Christ and the message of His love and salvation.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Yeah, for our program, uh, we like I I said earlier, we're headed to Mexico um, in about two weeks, uh, so it's it's toward the end of August, um, and it, it's very interesting that we chose this location because uh, a lot of people would think, well. So many missions that go to Mexico, but uh, the the place we're going is actually a, a very remote area in the Copper Canyon, and the hospital ministers to the tribe, uh, the Tarahumara Indians, who are actually an unreached people group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very interesting if you look back and and read about them. Uh, there are very few believers amongst this tribe, and they're kind of marginalized by uh, the Mexicans in general. So uh, the education is very poor, and um, they speak their own language. Um, And so we're going specifically to this hospital to do cataract surgery. For that, the 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 actual um, aim is to reach this tribe. Um, And of course, uh, you know, Samaritan's Purse is always very intentional in sharing the gospel. So we've tried every avenue that we can to actually provide them with MP3 players for portions of the scripture that have been translated into their language. And so just praying that this team that goes there, uh, we probably personally won't be able to share, but those that we have chosen to come alongside of us who are already uh, missionaries or or workers at the hospital, that they'll have real opportunities to speak into some of the lives of these people as they come for their cataract surgery Mm. Because um, we'd really love to see the gospel be mm-hmm. proclaimed there because they, they've had missionaries there for 20 or more years and have very few converts. So, mm.
0: yeah, so that's a big prayer request. <laughs> thank you. Well, no, thank you. We, that's why we wanted fresh updates, you know, so that we can intentionally pray and sure, partner right, with yeah. you. So, thank you for sharing. And thank you again for just sharing your time and your yeah. hearts and your stories. Um, it's been very encouraging. Thanks. So you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. Please be praying, as they just shared intentional prayers. So thank you for listening, and I pray that you're encouraged, and have a great week. Thanks.